0: Welcome to the Mind and Body Strong podcast, a place for women to redefine their relationship with food and their body, tune into their inner wisdom, and become the best version of themselves. My name is Katie Pijanowski, and I'm an anti-diet and body image coach, certified personal trainer, and lover of all things travel, brunch, and personal growth. Join us each week as we share insightful conversations with guest experts, along with my own personal stories and teachings, that aim to help you reconnect your mind, body, and spirit while releasing old beliefs, dogma, and expectations that no longer serve you. Each episode is packed with nuggets of wisdom that are sure to leave you feeling inspired, challenged, and empowered to take action in your own life. Shy away from tough topics? No way. In this space, we welcome things including mental health, sex, diversity, eating disorders, weight stigma, and all that comes with having a human experience. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me, so grab a notebook, pen, and some headphones, and let's dive in. All right, Welcome back to the Mind and Body Strong podcast. I have a really special guest here with me today. Her name is Kat Lee and she is an intimacy and relationship coach, coach and host of the Empowered Curiosity podcast, which is a great podcast, by the way, and the creator of the Heart Lab. She guides pattern breakers to alchemize their emotions and embody their healing journey to cultivate intimacy as a spiritual practice, which is so fun. And I actually, this is one of the first episodes on the podcast officially, that's going to be a little bit more kind of diving into like relationships and like how we hold ourselves in that. So I'm really, really excited to have you, Kat.
1: Oh, I'm so honored to be here. And I just, I love what you're putting out in the world. I think that the conversation around body image and embodiment is such a needed part of it. And I think that that's where like our intersection is going to come into into yeah. play here and we get to sort of just jam. I'm excited. I-
0: Totally agree. Yes. And like in my process of like really learning embodiment practices, I've learned how that can be so impactful in other areas. And Mm -hmm. so great to, to have you here talking more about like that relationship piece of it, because I know my audience is going to just take so much away from it. Heck, I'm going to take so much away from it. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. So for my audience, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about you, what really got you into doing the work that you do today, and then we'll just continue on from there because I have so many questions for you.
1: I would say that my work is kind of twofold. So there's the embodiment piece, which comes from my background in Chinese medicine. I was an acupuncturist for 12 years. And with that, I started to see how bodies are really the storytellers of our lives, And so when we start to look at these signs and symptoms, instead of looking at them as annoying things that we need to suppress, and we start asking some questions to our body in terms of, okay, so what are you trying to tell me right now? Mm -hmm. There is such deep wisdom that gets unlocked, and it's a scary process. I was able to just dive straight in from acupuncture school into building that business and really cultivating that side of the medicine I suppose and then the relationship side of it came I don't even know how to explain it just felt like I was aligning with something Mm -hmm. because I was in a marriage I was married or I wasn't married for 12 years but I was with my husband for 12 years and we were not the best fit for each other and we continued to try to like mold and shape ourselves to fit the relationship like we had prioritized the relationship over ourselves and I looked around at the age of like 29 and was just like who the am I allowed to swear on this podcast absolutely (laughs) (laughs) I was just like who the fuck am I you know like if I'm not connected to my husband if I'm not connected to my identity as a business owner if I'm not connected to all these different identities I had no idea who I was and so we ended up getting divorced because we couldn't reconcile our differences and we couldn't reconcile who we truly were and in that process of I guess it sounds so cheesy and cliche to say I'd like to go find myself I found all these tools and modalities. And I feel like there's just this beautiful marriage of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy that embodies the whole experience of the person. Mm-hmm. So. I don't think of relationships as being isolated incidents. I don't think of them as being separate from our bodies. And actually, if I look back on my story, my body had been telling me for years that this wasn't good for me, right? Mm-hmm. So I had insomnia, I had headaches, I had migraines. I did all of the things that you're supposed to do. But what I wasn't really doing is really asking my body, okay, what are you trying to tell me here? And when I started asking those questions, it became so much more clear to me that I wasn't in alignment with my life. I wasn't live. you know, everything on the outside looked great. Like we had bought a house, we had the two cars, we had a dog, you know, like just everything looked sort of picture perfect, mm-hmm. but there was something that was not aligning with my soul at the time. So I've been able to help guide mostly women, some men, but mostly women to break their patterns of living small and molding themselves and sort of playing up that like, I'm supposed to do this. So what, who are you beyond the, like the shoulds, the conditions, the, like the stories and narratives that we use to hold us safe. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but that's a bit of my story.
0: <laughs> no, not long-winded at all. I have so many thoughts as you were you were talking. And the first thing that I want to mention is I love that your background's in Chinese medicine because mm-hmm. I have my degree in psychology. So I always kind of interested with like the human mind and just behavior of humans. And as I have gone along in my own journey, like realizing that a lot of the like more medical practices that we have today, they're, they're kind of just not taking into account the whole ex- Experience and that Chinese medicine piece really does acknowledge the wisdom that the body has. And that's something that is a newer concept to me as of a couple of years ago when I started really getting into more embodiment practices, intuitive eating, body image work. That's when I realized, oh my goodness, the body has so much to tell us. And just that mind-body, like soul connection, which I know is something that is you kind of share in a lot of the things you do as well, is something that's become really imperative for me in my life. Mm-hmm. But another thing that really stood out to me in your story was you and your ex-husband were trying to mold and fit into each other. It's like just trying to make that relationship work. And all along our body was telling you, this isn't right, Kat. This isn't right. Like, you know, yeah. we need to do something different. Like this isn't your aligned path. And I relate to that so much. And I had one of my first long-term relationships and like looking back on it, my body was telling me at month three, like I very much remember it. Like, and we were together for six years, yeah. like kind of long distance. So yeah. I feel like that's probably the reason and many other reasons. Cause he was a f- like my best friend at the time. I mean, we supported each other through a lot of wounded experiences, but we also mm-hmm. were mold, trying to mold each other into what we wanted it to be. And, you know, all along just kind of dismissing what we really wanted finally ended that relationship. It felt like I had no idea who I was. I had silenced so much of who I was, you know, in name of the relationship working. And it was really intense experience for me. Yeah. And it's almost kind of like at first acknowledging that piece where like at month three, like I knew and I think at one point I even did try to break up with this person. And they freaked out and that freaked me out so it was like Mm. oh my goodness like I need to fix this you know like and it was just it's just so it's so hard acknowledging that because we ended up being together for so long but I do think that like we were in each other's lives for a reason but it wasn't meant to like stay forever you know and so like now the last three years it's been like a discovery process of like what does it really mean to have I know you talk a lot about conscious relationships and I'd love you to define exactly what that means but for me growing up like i Never had a great example of what Mm a good relationship looks like, a respectful, honoring relationship between anyone, really. It doesn't even have to be your traditional relationship. So I'd love for you to kind of start with like, what do you really mean with conscious relationships and kind of maneuvering this new space of kind of
1: finding what that really means for us? Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into conscious relationships, I just want to reflect back and mirror back what you just shared because. Oftentimes when we put relationship above the individuals in partnership, we end up taking on the archetype of a martyr, right? And that's not helpful in any relationship. Because it's like, there's almost like this invisible score court, uh, scorecard of I've done this for you. And so therefore I need you to meet my needs in this particular way. And it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And it just turns into like like a basketball game rather than like an actual like collaborative process where y'all are both on the same team. And looking back on the divorce, it's now been six years or so, it was the most loving act that I could do for us was to actually say this isn't working. And, you know, I think something that Elizabeth Gilbert has said is there's no such thing as one-way liberation because it's so funny because I used to, I'm very into aesthetics, I should say. (laughs) Like I love my environment to look a certain way. I like my clothes to be really nice. And I used to buy my husband his outfits because I would be out shopping and you know I would see something that I like of his and and for years he hadn't bought himself a stitch of clothing and the very first time I saw him after our divorce was finalized we were like sort of exchanging some paperwork and he showed up in this like salmon shirt and like bright purple tie and I had always dressed him in like neutrals and I was just like that hit me so hard because I was just like oh this is your true self too like you weren't allowed to be you in this relationship either Mm -hmm. and it brought me so much joy to see him in these bright colors I would have never bought him Mm -hmm. because it was just like, oh, you are being liberated in this process. Like, it's not just me who gets to feel free and live the kind of life that I want to choose, but it's also him, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that oftentimes we get into these relationships and you were talking about, I need to fix this when you tried to end it. And oftentimes fixing means that you are going back on a boundary. And we often think that that the most loving thing to do is to continue to be a martyr. But when we do that, we stop our partner from also a liberation for themselves too. Right. I'm so. so
0: glad that you voiced that double-sided liberation. And it's yeah. funny that you brought up the the clothing expression between like how you would buy your ex-husband the, the neutral color. And he expressed himself more in the bright because I feel like it was like with clothing as well for my ex and I was opposite. Cause he was very like emo, like very black and his, like, we liked that kind of stuff. And yeah. I always tried to get him to wear colors. And I was like, (laughs) I remember in like the first year of our relationship, I was like, why do you always have to wear the same exact outfit every single day? Like I was very judgmental about it, but it was because like, I just wanted to like help him or whatever. And he was just like, no, like, this is what I need. And after we had broken up, I saw him a little bit, but mostly through social media. And he kind of reverted back to that, like more emo style. And that's just who he is. And with, you know, in the relationship with me, it was like, he was trying to be someone that he wasn't. And I was doing the same, and I had just been taught my whole life that you just make things work, you just make things work, yeah. and you just don't really talk about, you know, the things that aren't, and don't trust. Like I learned very early on to not trust myself. And so it was Mm -hmm. always like somehow I just had named that, like I was wrong. So I just need to put up with this. And that was something I'm like healing still of like coming back to that, like learning to trust that that guidance from me and not letting Mm -hmm. external... And, you know, environments and people and things dictate that. And I think that so many of my listeners can probably relate to going down a path they feel they should go down mm-hmm. and then maybe realizing it's not right for them and feeling yeah. terrified with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Can I ask you that lack of trust in yourself? Where in your body do you feel that?
0: Oh, it's 1000% in my chest, in my throat. It's like this like binging little energy that's just like really gets caught in my throat. It's like my throat constricts and it's like, I can't share my voice. Like Mm. I would just cry. Like when I just, when I have those types of feelings, it's like, I just cry because I'm angry. I can't speak about it. And so I've leaned into writing, like writing it out first, but I've been a lot better. through like working on allowing those emotions and to voice them a lot better. It happens a lot faster than it would in the past. So yeah, Yeah. definitely like chest, throat area.
1: And I love that you have such an intimate relationship with the body in this way. And and for your listeners, it's like, this is the first step that I always ask my clients to go on with me is if you've noticed a pattern in your life, you know, the first step for you was noticing that I don't trust myself. And, you know, this tends to happen in our late twenties, early thirties into our 40s because, you know, we can sort of write off these instances in our lives as being one-offs up to a certain point but then in our late 20s in our late 30s in our 40s we start recognizing oh shit there's a pattern here (laughs) yeah and I might be the common denominator in that pattern and so this is a big shift from moving from the victim mentality into feeling more empowered in your life and it might sound counterintuitive but that starts from a place of recognizing what your patterns are and then naming where it is in your body naming the sensation, naming the location. And then from there, I ask, how old is that part of you? You know, she's little, she's mm-hmm. real little, right? Yeah. It always, always, always goes back to most. I mean, I, I shouldn't say always. It usually goes back to somewhere between zero and seven. Mm-hmm. Is oh, that yeah. true for you?
0: Yes. And this is the work that I've been deeply in the last year. And so I've done a yeah. lot of that, like, you know, reparenting of myself, of that little girl who, and I actually right above my computer, here. I have two younger pictures of me. One is me sitting in a little plastic chair holding these little stuffed dogs. And the other one is me sitting at a table eating a cream cheese bagel with cream cheese all (laughs) over my face. And I'm in both (laughs) pictures. I'm about four years old, which is the little mini me that I always tend to go back to is holding so much.
1: Yeah, because when we're between the ages of zero and seven, our brainwaves are actually operating at a different wavelength than we are when we're adults. So we're in Delta Theta mode when we're zero to seven, which as adults, we only access those parts of our brainwaves when we're dreaming, when we're meditating, when we're journaling, when we're in a relaxed absorbing state. Is that the right word there? (laughs) And when we're in that space, there's a, the beauty part of it is that there's so many connections that are being made in that space. But also the things that may seem small, like small T traumas, like we hang onto those and we create stories around them because we're in such a dreamlike phase in our lives. And then if there was a big T trauma, like that becomes... The programming mm-hmm. and the survival skills that you learned at that time then becomes the programming and you know it becomes this process of okay so that part of my body still feels like I'm four mm-hmm. what did that four-year-old need to hear and can we go back and correct that story from age four and tell it in a more realistic way mm-hmm. because it's showing up in my life in these unconscious ways that I'm not even aware of but it's showing up in my relationship It's showing up in my business. It's showing up in my friendships, in my communication styles, in my body. And so taking responsibility and becoming empowered in your life is A, saying I'm I'm not a victim to my circumstances. Things may have happened to you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we get to just say like, fuck it. I get an excuse and I get to pass on life because you ultimately end up causing more suffering for yourself and so I think the missing piece with therapy specifically is nobody asks you about your body nobody asks you like how's your body doing with all this because it's not just your brain that went through that experience when you were four it was like your body went through that as well Mm -hmm. and it has a cellular memory of that experience and how it held you and how it what sort of stress hormones were running through your body at the time how you are physically holding your body to protect yourself And so if we don't address the story that's held in our bones becomes like a I don't know. I feel like personal development can take on this like to-do list sort of experience. I experienced that when I first got into the space for
0: sure. And Mm -hmm. felt that like at some level, I knew that there was like something I was missing Mm -hmm. from that more because I had just developed into being very logical about things. And one thing I learned through my coaching experiences and working with coaches is they have always directed me back to talking to the body. And like, Mm -hmm. that has been really, really challenging for me at first because I hadn't communicated with my body in so long, Mm -hmm. but is now something that, and I've started just in the past month being more consistent with like meditation and like really checking in with that. And I'm at a point now where it's almost like I look forward to that because I, it does help me calm down. It helps me recognize when I'm in my stories, which I can, like, I think now I'm at the point where Right. I know what that feels like in my body. Yeah. So I'm able to be like, okay, this is that story that I had when I was three, when yeah. I felt like I wasn't getting the attention that I needed. And it made me feel like I didn't belong and like, whatever it is and being able to tell the actual story of changing the meaning, right? Like not all this work isn't about changing what actually happened to you, Mm -hmm. but changing the meaning for you. So you're no longer suffering and you're able to,
1: I love that. Yeah. And able to create from that space. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that brings us to a really lovely opportunity to be able to talk about conscious relationships, you know, because we all graduate from childhood with with wounds even if you had really good parents who were trying their best you know human beings are complex creatures and I don't know if you've spent time with a three-year-old but like I hung out with my nephew last month and he was crying because his water was too wet like (laughs) like we can't meet our you know we our parents can't meet our needs 100% of the time And then later on, if there was actual big T trauma in your history, then that becomes a more complex story, right? And Mm -hmm. so we have all had to survive our childhoods in one aspect or another. And we all come out with these stories and these narratives and these conditions and these projections. And we layer that onto the next intimate relationship that we create beyond our family of origin, which is our intimate partners. Mm -hmm. And so this is what you and I were doing in terms of like how we were dressing our partners is like, we had an idea of what we wanted our partner to look like, who we Mm -hmm. wanted them to be. right? And because our partners are an extension of who we are. And so when we partner in that way where we haven't addressed those stories and survival skills and narratives and projections that we carry we all carry from from childhood then it shows up in relationships In a way that can potentially be traumatizing. So, Mm -hmm. I would say that my relationship with my ex husband was traumatizing for both of us because we were both trying to, we were saying, like, I love you unconditionally, but the way that we were acting was full of conditions, right? And so, being in a conscious partnership is each individual is doing their own work because we all need to do our own work to, you know, shed these layers. And then you come into the relationship with. An intention of doing your best, and from that space, the relationship becomes a collaborative effort. And I love approaching relationships, whether it's romantic or otherwise, in this way because I have no idea what that relationship is going to look like in a year, or two years, or five years. And I think that in our modern culture, we have a tendency—at least I see this a lot in my clients—of you know wanting to jump on the relationship escalator because we think that that is what safety means. Mm. You know, like you jump on the escalator, you get the ring, you get the white picket fence, you get the house. And there's all this external scaffolding that we think of as being, this is security, this is safety. But we forget that actually that security and safety has to come from within first. It has to come from intimacy with self first. And in an intimate relationship, I I always talk about there being three creatures that you're feeding almost. It's like Mm -hmm. you have to feed yourself, you have to feed your partner, and you have to feed the relationship. Mm -hmm. It has to be all three of them. And at times, the partner is going to be a little more hungry, or the relationship is going to be a little more hungry, or you are going to be a little more hungry. And it's okay to sort of reprioritize the hierarchy of like who gets fed first, but all three need to be tended to. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense in terms of, I don't have like a concise definition of a conscious relationship. No, because I think it's such a
0: like nuanced concept, right? Like there's so many little pieces to it, but some of the things that I heard you say were, you know, we're conditioned before we reach this point of conscious relationship, but many of us are loving with condition saying we're loving without condition yet. Looking back upon my experiences, I was totally loving with condition. You have Mm -hmm. to be this way, look this way, do the, these things for me, and then I will feel safe and love you. Mm-hmm. And I love the mental image of the relationship escalator, as you call it, as this <laughs> road to safety. And that's something that I was for sure on feeling like, you know, once I'm in this relationship and i move, progress it forward. And then that's when I'll feel safe. And I think even over the past year of being single myself, like there's still part of me that was like, well, once I get the relationship, even though I know that is not the case, like I am very much aware that this has to, that safety and belonging, that connection, love, all those feelings have to be sourced from within. And that's been a huge process of figuring out for my logical brain, who wants to be like, how does that even happen? And being able to go back and offer myself that compassion, which is essentially like going back to that little version of me. That's what it looks like for myself Mm -hmm. and helping her Mm -hmm. in the places where she didn't feel like she could at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned that conscious relationships is like a three-part, like feeding yourself, feeding your partner, feeding the relationship and that the hierarchy can kind of shift and change, like depending on the seasons and what needs to happen, Mm -hmm. because that's truly what like my dad and I talk about this a lot. He's very spiritual himself. And so it's really awesome now to have those types of conversations where we're both figuring it out. Parents are divorced. They got divorced when I was 18. And Mm -hmm. it was for me, like I told my dad the other day, that was like a big waking up moment for me. Of like realizing mm. I was just living by everyone else's rules and expectations, staying silent, staying small. And that was a big life shift for me, yeah. realizing like I've been muting myself and waiting on the sidelines for so long. And the one thing that I thought was, you know, semi stable, even though it was not a great relationship between my parents, is now done. And what does that mean for me? Like, mm. oh my goodness. But I'm so thankful for that. And that was like 10 years ago because it really allowed me to go searching for that information and end up. in the spaces I'm in now having these types of conversations where it's like, how can we redefine what it means to be in this, you know, loving partnership where you're not really counting on someone to make you feel a certain type of way. So you're safe. Yeah.
1: And that's the thing is when we source safety and intimacy within first is like, you can approach relationships from a place that that doesn't feel like you're a hungry ghost you know I think that there's a lot of talk around addictions and I think that relationship addiction has to be part of that conversation because the same biomarkers the same chemistry happens in a substance abuse as there is in a relationship abuse because and by abuse I mean like when you enter into a partnership and there's this clinging energy and I need this from you versus I need this, like it's the energy around it is like, our mutual friend Holly talks about it in terms of wholeness, right? And she talks about it so beautifully in terms of like, how can you be so whole that you aren't asking someone to fill in all the gaps for you, right? And so when you can approach relationships in that way, then it becomes this like really beautiful collaborative process instead of like, oh, I need to survive this again. And I need to pull out all my survival tools from childhood again, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, and I do think of it in terms of it feels very similar to like when I used to treat addiction when I was in, in my acupuncture practice, because the same questions are being asked, you know, I don't ever think about addiction as being like a bad thing. I think of it as like, this has been serving you in some way. So what service has it been providing for you? So for example, like we can talk about it in terms of like smoking, you know, I had a client when I was in my acupuncture practice who has tried to quit smoking so many times and every time she fails. and so So, you know, she was coming in for acupuncture thinking that I can just poke her a couple of times, but it's deeper than that. Right. It's not just a physical addiction. There's a emotional component to it, too. And I asked her, you know, like, what is this serving for you? And she's like, oh, it's the only time in my day where I can just go outside and like take a breath. And so the pattern there was not let's quit smoking. The pattern there was you need to learn how to give yourself permission and to feel like you are valuable enough to go outside and take a breath.
0: Wow, that's powerful. I never thought about relationships in the sense of being addicted to Mm -hmm. that too. Mm -hmm. Looking at it like the smoking thing. What are you getting from it emotionally that's keeping you here? Yeah. And the word that you brought up, permission, is my word for the year. So anytime I hear that, my ears are like, yes, bring it (laughs) up.
1: Yes. And so this can apply for somebody who, is in a relationship that they clearly know is not healthy. You know, you knew in three months that this wasn't the right partner for you and you continued to stay there. And so you were there for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but it was serving you in some way. It was serving some form of, you know, identity that you were latched onto. It was serving some form of like role that you were used to playing, wanting to be a people pleaser. Like there's so many reasons why we stay in relationships that don't serve us, right? Right. And so it's not very helpful to shame ourselves for staying in relationships that aren't good for us because that continues to fracture who we are. And so. Like, can we move towards those parts of us that feel like they're fractured, that mm-hmm. feel like they need to have an external source to complete us to mm-hmm. find that wholeness? And how can we love that part of us even more? Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Finding compassion for the positive intention under the behaviors <laughs> instead of using it as kind of avenue to beat, it, beat ourselves up. And mm-hmm. in the work of body image, so many times people are beating themselves up for, especially during now with many of us re-entering the world as we record this from the pandemic. Pandemic. Our bodies are different from experiencing. Yeah. Most of us have experienced some level of trauma this past year. Like, we have to yeah. recognize that and acknowledge that yeah. and how our bodies have helped us survive that. Mm-hmm. And I think that acknowledging those positive intentions of, you know, our body keeping us alive can be really impactful, especially in the, the body image space of like, hey, you know, your body is really doing you a lot of really great things. Like, what yeah. would it look like to view your body? One of the things I've learned to do with Holly and, and Julie when I've worked with them is viewing your body as a person. And when you do that, it really allows you to see like, oh, if I try to control this person in my life, they wouldn't like that very much. And it wouldn't be a very great relationship. And so why do I choose to do that to myself?
1: Yeah. And thank you for naming that. I think that that's an important piece for people to hear right now is all of our bodies look different. (laughs) And I have this ceremony that I'm planning to do on my birthday. My birthday is going to be in a couple of weeks. But every year I try try to write myself a letter like Mm. to an earlier version of myself and I've found that over the years of doing this I feel like I'm writing a letter to the earlier bodies of myself Mm -hmm. like I don't know why that pattern seems to come up every year if it's just like here's a marker of I'm a year older my body looks a little different this year versus it was last year and my body looks very different this year than it did last year Mm. you know I've gained a little bit of weight and I'm okay with all of that. And I say I'm okay with all of that. But I look at pictures of myself. Like I went to the Grand Canyon recently and I looked at pictures of myself and I was like, oh, I don't, I actually don't recognize that body anymore. And it brought me a bit of sadness. And, yeah. you know, I've been in this work long enough to know like where we, I've unpacked all the the value systems around my body and and all of that and I come from like a very long line of women who have beat up their bodies. And so I think for my birthday this year I'm going to do a meditation and just sit naked in front of the mirror and like just have like that focus come back into view so yeah. that I can recognize my own body again in my in my pictures. And I think that we all are sort of as we enter the world like we're being seen again, you know, yeah. for the last Year, all people have seen of me have been like from my chest up. And I'm like, oh, but here's my belly and here's my booty. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
0: This is so true. And I think so many people can relate to that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, myself included when I first started this work and there'd be pictures where I'd be like, you know, yeah, I don't recognize this body because before I found intuitive eating, I was on really restrictive diets and binge eating a lot. And so I gained a lot of weight in a short amount of time. And my body didn't feel like, it felt like I was just not in my body, right? Mm -hmm. And in seeing those pictures, it was like I was in those moments, like self-objectifying, like just really Mm -hmm. seeing myself as a body and not who I really was mm-hmm. and being able to drop back down into my body and have that experience and I think it's like just a beautiful thing that you're willing to like get to know this new body is like you know like almost like this creating this new relationship like hey friend like let's let's get to know each other let's yeah I haven't seen you in a year <laughs> like, yeah,
1: like I haven't what have you been up to
0: right yeah and like having this like conversation and Mm -hmm. it maybe sounds strange to some but it's so impactful
1: and it's such a healthier way of being with this friend of mine and I come from a background where I watched my mom on so many diets and I've inherited my mom's body I look very much like my mother Mm -hmm. our body types are the same and I remember growing up and she would go on these ridiculous diets where she would be like oh my gosh it's so great I can eat as much as I want as long as it's just grapefruit and hard-boiled eggs (laughs) is this like is this really what we're doing and I remember thinking at that age you know like what's going on here but thinking that her actions were weird but internalizing those feelings of shame around having a bigger body for Mm -hmm. an Asian woman and again it goes back to that like subconscious programming that we talked about is in order to have a conscious relationship with somebody else you also have to have a conscious relationship with yourself Mm -hmm. and so this exploration of body image of being friends with your body and you know asking your body what it is that she's trying to tell you and asking your body what it is that she needs in this moment mm-hmm. and finding ways to speak to your body and finding ways to meet your body's needs it sounds weird but it makes you a better partner it really does
0: 100 <laughs> because going back to the the way that you had talked about conscious relationships we're feeding three parts ourselves yeah. that partner and that relationship Relationship. And when we know ourselves really well, really drop into that, I feel like that gives us the space to be able to like kind of, you know, when we feel full, we can then fill up these other two things mm-hmm. absolutely. instead of just seeing it as the relationship and like doing yeah. in the name of the relationship yeah. and silencing everything else is just not, I mean, we can look at, you know, <laughs> just like the, the patterns over the last, you know, I don't know, 30 years or whatnot. It's just not working mm-hmm. that, that mindset and that, that way of approaching relationships relationships doesn't work. So like, why do yeah. we continue to do it? So I think awesome. like the work that you're doing too, you talked about on, on Holly's podcast, actually about how, when you do coach couples, it's like, you're coaching those people as like individuals and mm-hmm. that your goal is for them to live through their truth. Even if that means the relationship has to come to an end and i think yeah. that is something that can be like whoa like yeah. i thought you're supposed to fix my relationship you're a relationship mm-hmm. coach and i love that view that you have because mm-hmm. it allows both of those people to stand in what's true for them and then decide if that relationship is going to be the thing that helps them continue to grow
1: or not and to be fair like it it doesn't always mean that the like we live in this binary with relationships i think where it's like you're either together or you're not and And I think oftentimes, let me think about how to say this. I talk about like my spiritual practice as being like a shedding of all the layers. And so in your lifetime, you are going to have to attend thousands of funerals of the woman that you used to be because each layer that is shed, you have to thank her and honor her because she's played some sort of role for you in your life. And I think relationships are no different in that over the course of a relationship, it's not going to stay static. And so the container of it might change, the structure of it might change. And I will say that this comes from, so I am somebody who has two partners and my partner Andre and I we started out being like very serious I would say and over our years of being together we so enjoy each other and He is one of my absolute best friends. He is one of the souls that feels so nurturing to me, but we don't work very well when we call each other boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And, and so in order for us to deepen into our relationship, and actually we feel closer now than we had when we were calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend, it's silly, but it's like, once we dropped a label, once we started just being like, you're my best friend Mm -hmm. and you know, sometimes we're romantic and sometimes we're not and, you know, being able to be fluid. And, and so like in that situation, it's like the relationship didn't have to end, but that version of our relationship needed to be thanked and then like released. And so good. I think that a lot of times people are concerned about either I have to stay together or break up. And it's not a binary. If you can be in collaborative process with your partner, it's like, okay, so let's talk about what makes us feel seen. Let's talk about like what makes us feel seen and then build a structure from that place. And it's going to be unique from every other relationship that's out there. And what a beautiful thing that is. Yeah,
0: I love that new way of looking at relationships because I know that for me, like looking back, like when you do have those titles, it's like for some reason, certain expectations become attached to that. And we start like kind of operating, at least I have in the past, like operating from this like weird view and it doesn't necessarily feel great. So it's just interesting to know that there is like these opportunities to explore, like, you know, yeah, just be being really open about what makes you feel safe and and having those conversations instead of just kind of entering into this like binary, like girlfriend boyfriend relationship, having all these expectations, and not that I no necessarily wrong, right? I'm never about making things right or wrong, but it's just again with how you lead everything you do, it's like leading with curiosity mm-hmm. and in
1: opening that up and leading with just like full permission to ask mm-hmm. for exactly what you want and need. Yeah, I and think a lot of people are scared to talk about what they want and need in relationships because they think that that's going to scare the other person off or it's going to sell. Sound- weird or it's so against the status quo Mm -hmm. that yeah like we're all afraid to use this part of our body like this voice oh yeah that we all
0: get to have that's something that's been very challenging for me like as you know, that, that will bubble up in my chest and my throat. And it's very hard to express like what it is I need. And in the past, it's like, I wouldn't even express what I need. I would just get angry because Mm -hmm. I didn't know how else to express that Mm -hmm. because I had been taught over the years to just have it all figured out. I should have this figured out. You you shouldn't need help. You shouldn't ask for it. You shouldn't, you know, like what you're feeling isn't right. You know, just question. There's a lot of that self-doubt that still circulates in my body and in my mind. And so being able to slowly in progress, coming back to that so that I can open it up, but also like asking, being able to ask, but then even when the answer is no, knowing that like you can still have everything that you want, right? Like it's not like this person or relationship is stopping you from having something in your life, which I feel like can be a pretty common thread for people. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can't do this or have this or feel this because of my partner. Mm -hmm. And that's not true like we get to access yeah. all of that within ourselves of course we can ask for those things of course and so i don't know what what are your your take on that
1: i think you bring up something that's really important to make really explicit because when we're talking about asking to have our needs met there's a healthy boundary that needs to be made there there's a healthy distinction that needs to be made there which is you are not entitled to that thing and so i think you said it like in terms of even if your partner doesn't give you that thing even if the answer is no like you can still source that for yourself and I think that one of the pitfalls of doing inner child work if you're working with a a coach or a mentor who is not as experienced in it Mm -hmm. is it can turn into like a hungry child in that like okay so now we've given this child a voice and now she's asking for all her needs to be met which is a beautiful thing but now she feels like she's entitled to have all these needs to be met right Mm. instead of looking at it from a place of like okay so when I ask for something my partner has complete sovereignty in whether or not he or she can provide that for me right but that doesn't mean even if the answer is no your ask is still very valid and still needs to happen right and so I I think that that's a really, really important boundary that people need to unpack as they do inner child work is is sometimes we can very easily slide into the spoiled child mm-hmm. of like, okay, I've asked for it. Now I should get it, right? right. <laughs> Instead of like, okay, so you are a grown ass adult. Yes, we're working on your inner child. But if the answer is no, how can you source that for yourself? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you brought that up
0: because I can definitely see how that's a very easy mentality to slide into. It feels mm-hmm. like safer. And then again, it becomes like well this person said I couldn't have this so like then you then again it kind of brings me back at least when I go through that it's like oh it brings me back to this like resentment anger piece yeah that martyr piece yeah and that doesn't feel great
1: yeah yeah that doesn't feel great for anybody
0: no (laughs) yeah so with that because I know a lot of what you do is like that you talk about like emotional out like alchemy, is that how you Mm -hmm. say it a lot? Yeah. So yeah, you use that a lot in your language and Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like how do we like kind of tap into that, I suppose, like how does that come through in the work that you do with one-on-one coaching? I know you have the Heart Lab Mm -hmm. um, as well that really focuses on that.
1: Yeah. So I think about emotional alchemy as being like that self-work that we all are here to do in this world, right? And in our modern world, we have a tendency to label emotions as being good or bad. Joy and bliss and gratitude and, you know, those are all good. And grief and sadness and anger are all bad. And from the Chinese medicine, the Dallas medicine background, what we know is that emotions are just emotions. There's like the human judgment piece got layered in later on. And so to work with each of the emotions, they each have a medicine. And so this is where I think that the personal development and like, this is one of my biggest pet peeves about the personal development world is like, here's a top 10 list of, you know, how to work with anger or how to Mm de-stress. And for me, it's such an individual process because each emotion has a different energetic signature and so if you're in grief like just super simply without getting into a lot of detail like if you're in grief what grief needs is ceremony it Mm -hmm. needs honoring it needs to be acknowledged it needs that like deep sinking energy of feeling anchored and reflection Mm -hmm. right so if you were to tell somebody who is grieving to go for a run because they're feeling sad like not very helpful right and so like unless we can start asking the why underneath the emotion personal development becomes like a to-do list like we said earlier whereas if you told somebody who was angry who is like their pure emotion is just I am fucking pissed off tell that person to go for a run like intuitively like that feels better in your body when I say that out loud right yeah versus the grief emotion yeah or like get in your car and drive down the freeway and scream yeah (laughs) <laughs> right because anger is the energy in in Dallas medicine we we relate it to the energy of springtime which is when things are moving things are bursting things are coming to fruition and so in that time what we need to do is actually move our bodies yeah and so when you're angry and you need to like move your body and you tell somebody to sit down and meditate not helpful not helpful right? yeah right <laughs> Yeah. And so I think this is why it's so helpful to have a coach because a lot of times our emotions become so jumbled. We don't even know what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. And so doing that reflective work with a coach who is an unbiased witness to you, who's going to ask you questions to help you clarify. Okay. So what's actually at the core of this? Mm -hmm. What's actually like at the core of your suffering? And then let's give you the right medicine instead of here's 10 things you have to do this week. Right. Yeah. It is so much much less about the actions is what I'm
0: learning. And in, more about that tuning in and and the honoring piece, right? Like the honoring piece comes up in a lot of the work I do with food and body image. And it's something that we forget. And it makes so much sense the way that you describe it. It's when you feel that emotion of grief, like, yeah, you don't want to like run away from that. That almost feels like suppression. Like you're just ignoring it. When it does really ask for that, like you said, ceremony and reflection, that makes so much more sense. That like silence, that space. Whereas anger, it does feel like a very like, heightened emotion where you just want to move forward, get it out. And so where that would make more sense. I thank you so much for like clarifying that. Like, I just feel like my mind was blown right there. I was like, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I think that a place and I'm I'm just naming this because I've had this come up with a couple of my clients this week is if you're in a triggered sympathetic state. So like in an instance where you actually like need to turn your nervous system on and your nervous system gets turned on and it's like, shit, we need to get ourselves out of fight or flight. So I'm thinking car accident. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, but like something that feels like it was physically threatening right. to you in that moment. My clients have been saying, like, oh, I tried to get into my meditation practice and I couldn't. And it's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Like, your animal body went through an experience and you had all this adrenaline and cortisol like rushing through your cells. And so, in animals, what they do is they actually shake. I don't know if you've been around dogs or horses after they've been through a scary experience, but like, after, you know, my, my, dog is four pounds and so everything is scary for her yeah. and and so she has like an altercation at the dog park she'll sit in my arms and she'll she'll st- shake and then five minutes later she's fine and she's back to playing but that shaking is her actually releasing the cortisol and adrenaline out of her cells and as humans we shake after stressful experiences and we're like what's wrong with me that's not a what's wrong with you moment that's actually your animal body doing exactly what it was designed to do which is it got primed to get ready for a fight or flight sort of situation and when you didn't let it do that or the situation didn't call for that then it needs some somewhere to expel that energy. And so I think that that's another place where people get stuck is when we don't allow our nervous systems to do the regulatory process and complete the stress cycle that it's meant to complete. Then it gets lodged somewhere in our body and, it, and we feel anxious for no reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I've been reading, doing a lot more reading about that, like how emotions get like kind of stuck in our bodies when we don't mm-hmm. allow for that natural process. We mm-hmm. kind of judge it with our minds. It's like, this shouldn't be happening. What's wrong with me? Yeah. And you know, know your body being as wise as it is it's like no this is supposed to happen everything's fine like we're just doing our job over here and and once we know that it's just like oh it makes so much sense you know like when you you finally hear it in those ways like
1: oh yeah yeah, like like, of course yeah there's a really beautiful book I don't know if you've picked it up yet it's called burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski they explain it so beautifully it is I highly recommend every woman (laughs) out there who has a nervous system to go read it. (laughs) They also do a really, really beautiful interview on Brene Brown's podcast. Love Brene Brown. I just started reading
0: her book, Braving the Wilderness. Oh, so good. Love her.
1: Yeah. But just in terms of like breaking down the nervous system, what your nervous system is actually needing to do in that moment. They're my favorite book to turn to or to send clients to that that kind of brought to
0: my mind like with the nervous system of us like getting really like activated in Mm -hmm. when it comes to like a relationship and I feel like sometimes we get really like maybe angry or like maybe we try to avoid that person when we're feeling really activated how do we support ourselves in that those moments where we like want to maybe you know I don't know like yell at a partner when we're activated when it's really something that's going on with us and like how do we come back to that like I need to support myself moment instead of yelling and screaming and causing
1: unnecessary suffering. Yeah. So there's that how question, right? Right. (laughs) It's it's hard to give, just like a a blanket answer you know we can talk about you know if you are a client of mine we can talk about why your nervous system is being like activated in that state we can talk about you know why your partner is triggering you in that space because it's going to be so individual to everybody right so it's not going to be the situation where it's like just breathe (laughs) for 10 seconds (laughs) like and so I think that that's a much deeper conversation and it's a much more individualized conversation that needs to happen because we need to ask why before we can get to the how, but you do speak of something that I think is really important to address, which is, have you heard of attachment theory? Oh yes. I've read a lot of it. Yeah. So attachment theory, we all have, like we talked about survival strategies earlier, right? And so for some people in a state of an activated nervous system, they want and crave intimacy to a point where it feels smothering and suffocating to their partner. Mm-hmm. And then other people will crave space in a way that feels really isolating and distancing from their partner. And really these are survival strategies. And some people sort of pendulum swing back and forth between the two. And so in the research, it's called anxious attachment states or avoidant attachment states. Mm-hmm. And so when I run the Heart Lab, we talk really in depth about this because it's really important to identify what your pattern is and then give you specific tools based on your attachment style on how how to self soothe right so for somebody who's an anxious attacher versus an avoidant detacher the tools are going to look really really different mm-hmm. so I tend to be more of an anxious attacher in yeah in conflict like I need and I crave and it, I get really clingy and I need validation and it becomes this like really clingy energy mm-hmm. and I've classically just paired with avoidant attachment men and what I've learned is what I need in that moment is not necessarily like the physical touch and the words of validation and all the things that I thought I needed. What I needed was just clear and concise communication that you were going to come back. Yeah. I have this idea that in my head, when my ego starts going, they're just running away from me. They're going to abandon me. They're going to leave me. I'm going to be left all by myself and to tend to my wounds. And so what my partners have learned is, and this has been through lots and lots of discussion, <laughs> um, lots and lots of painful discussions. What is helpful for our relationship in that moment is If you tell me, hey, I'm feeling activated right now, or I need some space right now, and I'm going to come back after a walk, or can we talk about this next week? Yeah. Like to me, it doesn't even matter if it's like an hour from now or a week from now. I just need confirmation that you're coming back and you're not going to just sweep this under the rug. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so this is why it's so important to understand the why, right? So I'd be speaking if, you know, in this particular example, it's me and my partner. But if I was speaking to one partner versus the other partner, I'd be having a very, very different conversation with them. You know, what need is being met when you get physical touch? What need is getting met when you are getting that space? Mm -hmm. And can we meet that need in a way that feels healthy for you? for the partnership.
0: Yeah, that is so, so helpful. I'm glad that you brought it back to the attachment theory, because that's something that I've been reading a lot about and learning how to build that those like coping skills for myself being more of a like anxious, like attacher and like how you had expressed it was so perfect. Like that's exactly what I need to hear is that you're going to come back. Yeah, Like, even if it's an hour a week from now, at least I know, like, you'll be back. And I'm not mm-hmm. sitting here waiting, like, should I say something? Should I, like, you know, approach this? And yeah, that's something that I found very challenging in, like, the dating space. It's like, mm-hmm. I, and then I don't know how to, like, voice it. Voice so was, like, oh, no, you know, like, self-doubting, like, maybe I don't, I don't know. It's a very interesting relationship of so glad that you take so much time in your, your heart lab to like really discover that for people. Yeah. Cause I, it's, it's a very painful thing when you don't know how to like, you're trying to get your needs met in the best way you know how and that person's opposite of you and they're like running away and that feels yeah. like very, very challenging. And yeah. until you both recognize what you need in those moments and how to just like clear and be clear and concise in communicating that it's just gonna just not feel great for either party.
1: Yeah. And the Heart Lab, which is my group coaching program that I run a couple of times a year, that came from me reading a lot about attachments theory and getting so frustrated with the books that I was reading because what I was reading was you know there's so much great research out there in terms of attachment theory like it's a well studied arena of western psychology but the tools that they give you are not very helpful because it's a lot of okay you've identified your attachment pattern now go find somebody who's secure Right, Which to me is like, we're feeding that scarcity mentality in people of like, you are broken. So you need to go find something external to you to fix your, you know, your relationship. And to me that, that just, it like was so frustrating for me. To hear that, and so again, like this is not to discount the research that's being done, and so we take the research that's being done in Western psychology, and then we layer in actual tangible coaching skills, and we layer in a lot of Taoist medicine. So a lot of that emotional alchemy that we talked about, we dive deep into each and every single one of those emotions, and give you the right tool so that you're not projecting all that shit onto your partner, right? And so instead of being, go find a secure partner, it's okay, how can we make you feel so safe and secure in yourself that you are a secure partner? And yeah, I think that's where a lot of my, my work comes from is like seeing that there's these gaps in how we used to think about mm-hmm. personal development and how it was scratching that scarcity wound and, and continuing to like, even just the way that people market these days feels really frustrating To me, because it's like, no, 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 like, let's stop telling people they're broken. Right. Like, can we please help you remember that you are completely whole? And it's really just about how can we get you back in touch with that part of yourself? Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because the book
0: Attached, which is a very, like, great, you know, knowledgeable book, does say much of that well you're anxious find a secure partner now it's just like and they give you case studies about that (laughs) yeah and something about that just didn't feel right like in all the scenarios it was like they were showing how anxious and avoidant were very magnetic to each other that that's usually the scenario a lot of us find ourselves in and all of the different stories were like how they weren't working out very well and I'm just like that's not you know it's very much talks to that scarcity piece and that kind of putting people in these boxes and making it very, you know, structured. And I kind of in those moments go back to a Glennon Doyle quote, where she kind of talks about being fluid and how we don't have to fit into all these boxes of like all these different things that we think we need to be. And what if we just live in the middle, like this gray Mm -hmm. piece. And, and that's where I've discovered just a lot of ability to come back to that. Like what's true for me, because now I no longer have to fit myself into this box Mm -hmm. and do things this certain way, check off all the boxes. I can actually come back to
1: me yeah And it bypasses a really important piece here, because there's a reason why anxious and avoidant people are attracted to each other and are magnetized to each other is because there's a relational wound there that needs to be supported. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you were to tell an anxious person, or you were to tell an avoidant person to go find somebody who's securely attached, then they might be like, well, where's the chemistry? Where's the where's the passion? Yeah. And so, you know, we are actually meant to learn from our partners, believe it or not. And so I've learned so much from my avoidant partner because I am not good at space. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so like one of the beautiful lessons that my avoidant partner has told me or has taught me is like actually how much breath happens, how much processing happens when you're not doing, doing, doing all the time. And so I could not have learned that from anyone other than him because he means so much to me and Like the relationship meant so much to me that I wouldn't have figured this out on my own. And so when we say things like in this book, which is still a very, very good introduction into attachment theory, I'm not, you know, criticizing it completely, but when we say things like we need to go find a secure partner, you're missing out on some really big lessons on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. And
0: relationships are meant to kind of like help us go that extra little bit. Like you said, it's like, I couldn't have really nailed that down as something I needed to work on without like this relationship with someone that I really cared about. And I find that to be so true. And that's the beauty of relationships, right? Like we get to do more self-exploration and figure out like, okay, where else do I need to, where else can I grow? And that's so wonderful. I've like loved every piece of this. And I just feel like I could just ask you a million more questions, but I feel like this was just, this was perfect. So before we end, I know that you, we talked about the Heart Lab and and your podcast a little bit, Mm -hmm. but is there anything else that you'd like to kind of leave us with after this conversation that
1: we've had? Mm. I think that piece that I think is the through line of both of our work is really remembering that you are completely whole as you are and that this work is more of a subtractive process than an additive process in that it's about removing all those layers of conditions and stories and narratives and survival skills that have served you so that we can go back to the truest version of you who you always were underneath it all you know, who you were born into this life as. And I think that that's the piece that I always want to land with and leave people with is nothing about you, whatever your patterns, whatever your circumstances are, nothing about you is broken. There's wisdom in all of this. And so it's really about how do you unpack that and how can you listen more deeply to yourself?
0: Yeah. So beautiful.
1: Well, this is going to
0: be definitely one for the audience to go back and listen to, because I know that I will. So thank you so much for all your wisdom and for just showing up with such an open heart and willingness to have this conversation
1: with me. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on. It was such an honor and you're so easy to talk to. It's, it's so great. <laughs>
0: you know, my friends has been,
1: been wonderful. So
0: thank mm-hmm. you so much. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Mind and Body Strong podcast. You are what makes this movement and message possible. If you loved this episode, share it with a friend, a coworker, a family member, or take a screenshot and share it on your favorite social media platform and tag Mind and Body Strong. To learn more about coaching and courses to help you take your journey to the next level, visit mindandbodystrong.com.